We do have a plan for young adults. We're excited what the Lord's going to do. And, and just keep praying as we are moving into August, praying, you know, uh, eventually when we move inside, how to do that, when exactly to do that. I do want to say thank you for your prayers and your support. Um, you guys have been uh, just really encouraging and coming out. And I know it hasn't always been easy and it's hot and with the kids. Uh, but we're just going to move forward, and I believe the Lord wants to speak to us this morning as we're in Matthew chapter 8. You can turn there in your Bibles. And, uh, you know, you've had to adapt and changes, and sometimes it's not easy moving forward. And uh, But the Lord guides us, and he's still working. And I see him working in ways that um, are really quite incredible and, and it just confirming in me that he's still with us and he still has a plan. And so I appreciate your support, your prayers, and uh, we're going to just see what the Lord has for us in the weeks ahead. And uh, And I know that he has some amazing things. Be praying for uh, the youth. Uh, uh, sorry, Luke, I forgot. The youth are going to be meeting next weekend uh, for youth activity. Friday is high school and Saturday is junior high, right? Six to eight o'clock. And then the next weekend they have their retreat. Be praying for them uh, as they do that. And we're just continuing to move forward. And um, our young people, I just, I just want to say to you guys that are young, and that's, you know, anyone who's 90 years old or under. <laughs> but no, for, you know, you guys uh, bring such life. And, and um, I have a heart to really continue to reach our young people because a lot of our young people are so distant from the Lord. They haven't grown up knowing the Word of God. And we see that around us. And um, the life that you guys bring, the excitement, that's going to continue. He wants to use your generation in such an incredible way. So we're here to support you guys, love you guys, get the word of God into your hearts. We are in very unique times. And so as we go into Matthew chapter 8, we're going to start reading at verse 18. In our journey through Matthew, of course, we saw that Jesus, in the beginning of his ministry, he would leave Nazareth. He would go to Capernaum, which the Gospels say is the town of Jesus. And as he's there in Capernaum, he spent most of his earthly ministry there uh, on the north shores of the Sea of Galilee. And as he's there ministering, all of a sudden thousands of people are coming to where the gospel writers use that term great multitudes, tens of thousands of people on any given day coming to the Galilee region, and, and they are pressing in on Jesus, receiving healing. Uh, he has healing every kind of sickness and disease, as we see those verses just prior to verse 18. He's freeing the demoniacs, and seeing the multitude, he would go up on a mountain, as we read uh, on um, the uh, Sermon on the Mount in the beginning, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them as he sat. He's teaching them the Beatitudes he gives to them is what we call the Beatitudes, how blessed. And as he teaches those chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, it's the longest sermon that we have recorded of Jesus in the Gospels. But the multitudes are making their way up the mountain. And when he concludes that sermon on the mount, the people are astonished at the authority in which he teaches, not as 
the scribes and the Pharisees. And then he comes down from that mountain, and in chapter 8, as we've been in that chapter, taking our time going through it, that we see not only is he teaching uh, in, with great authority, he is the Word. The Word became flesh, as John writes in chapter 1, and tabernacled among us, or dwelt among us. We know that Jesus, in that upper room, that he would declare to his disciples right before he went to the cross that I am the way, the truth. He didn't say, I am a truth. He said, I am the truth, the way, the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So here is Jesus. He is the Word. Here is Jesus ministering now in chapter 8 with great power that's being displayed as he's healing the people. And here comes this man that's full of leprosy. And this man falls at the feet of Jesus and begins to worship him and says, Lord, if you're willing, cleanse me. And Jesus, with his compassionate hands, those same hands that he would allow a spike to be driven through, so that he would die for you and for me for our sins, the compassion, the love that he has for us. And as he said, I am willing to be cleansed, immediately that man was cleansed of his leprosy. And we know that it speaks to us because Jesus, we are cleansed. Leprosy is a picture of sin in the Old Testament. We are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ as he shed his blood, having his hands and his feet pierced on that Roman gibbet as he hung between heaven and earth for you and for me. And always remember, of, if you ever doubt his compassion for you, his love for you, that you go to the cross and see him there dying for you because of his love for you. So we see that, and then we know that with those same hands, he would touch uh, Peter's mother-in-law, as we saw last week. And she had a fever, and, and then also he would speak the word with power as the centurion servant was healed uh, of his sickness. So here are tens of thousands of people that had heard of Jesus. They're pouring into Nazareth from all around the, the area there. And his ability to heal those with leprosy, to free those who are demonized, to heal all those who are sick, the miracles, the healings, you can picture it. Uh, all the multitude coming with great excitement. There's all this excitement taking place. But it would cause many would-be followers of Jesus to, to come for the reason of just receiving healing, physical healing, and, and being fed. Matter of fact, what we're going to see now as we continue through Matthew's Gospel is that the crowds actually are going to begin to diminish. Uh, after the feeding of the 5,000, we know that Jesus would, in John's Gospel, say to the people as they came and, and they pressed in on him again. He said, you're only coming because you're hungry again. The food that you ate yesterday is gone, but you need to come and eat of me and drink of me. I am the bread of life that comes from heaven. And we know that John's gospel records that the people said, this is a hard saying, and the crowds begin to diminish. We also know from the gospels that at the feeding of the 5,000 right after that, that the crowds were going to take them by force and 
to crown him as their Messiah. He's feeding us. He's healing us. We'll never be sick. We'll never be hungry again. And he knew that he was, you know, they were wanting to come and, and take him by force to be their Messiah only for those reasons. And matter of fact, in his last week when he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we know that Luke says that the people are expecting the kingdom of God to be ushered in immediately. They thought the Romans are going to get theirs. He's going to, you know, usher in the kingdom. And, and so they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But when they realize that he's not going to usher in the kingdom at that time, that Jesus begins to talk about the costs of following him. He begins to talk about he's going to go to Jerusalem and be handed over to the chief priests and elders and he's going to die, but he's going to rise again after three days. They didn't understand that. He's going to say that you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. If you want to be great in the kingdom, this is how you be great. Because the disciples were always arguing about who's the greatest, even up until that last night where Jesus is with them in the upper room. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you must be the servant of all. He washed their feet. He said, do this in an example that I have done, you do to others. And if you are to be a part of the kingdom of God, you must humble yourself as a child in childlike faith. And Jesus says, I come to die. And people are turning away from him, as we will see continuing through the Gospels. And it would be evidently that they would cry out after that final week, Jesus making his way into Jerusalem, that they see that he's not going to usher in the kingdom at that time. They're going to cry out, crucify him. Crucify him. We will not have this man rule over us. And so as we're going to see, we begin to see this, that he's talking about you know, following him, uh, discipleship, the cost of discipleship, as we read in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 8. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Now keep verse 18 in, uh, and remember that. So next time when we see the story of the storm they're in in the boat, that this is a command that he gave to them, that we're going to go to the other side. But then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And as I mentioned, the, the crowds are very huge. They're pressing in on Jesus. So he said, let's go to the other side of the lake. And as he's getting into the boat, this scribe came, making his way. I, I picture this scribe pushing his way through the crowd and out of the way. And he, he's tired and he's kind of breathing heavy and because he expended a lot of energy to get to Jesus. And he comes up to him and he says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now remember that the scribes were part of the religious elite, along with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The scribes were teachers, sometimes they're called lawyers in the scripture. They were highly educated and scholars. And I just wonder if this scribe heard Jesus gave that Sermon on the Mount. And he thought, I never heard anyone preach with such authority. And then this scribe would see Jesus healing the people, uh, those in the crowds, he gets very excited. This is exciting times right now. So he runs up to Jesus and he says right before he gets into the boat, I'll follow you wherever you go. In verse 20, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
It seems like a kind of an odd answer Jesus gave to him, but we learn so much from this. You'll follow me, really? Have you counted the cause? Do you know what it is that you're saying? And I believe that this scribe was being honest with Jesus, and perhaps maybe he was just caught up in the excitement, and that can happen. It can happen to Christians. They see God moving, they get caught up in the excitement and for the moment, but we know that he comes to Jesus, says this, and our Lord is being very honest with this scribe. He says, I have no place that I am staying, and are you willing to count the cost? I have no earthly possessions. Jesus is saying no earthly ties. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now we don't know how this individual responded to Jesus. I think that a lot of commentators and, and uh, you know, people suggest that this scribe walked away discouraged, but we don't know for sure. The scriptures are silent about that. We do know that Luke tells us that later on that he would send the 70 out, and so there were disciples that came following Jesus that were sent out by Jesus. But put yourself in this scribe's sandal. This man being a scribe, again, they would copy the scriptures, but they would study the scriptures. They would make interpretation of the scriptures. And then they, in the interpretations, would give that to the people, but to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were that sect of religious leaders that they were dedicated. That's what the word Pharisee means, separated one. We're dedicated, separated to keep in the most minute details of the law that the scribes had interpreted. And it is also believed that some of the scribes were indeed Pharisees. Hey, we're going to be dedicated to keeping the details of the law, uh, what the scribes interpreted, especially when it came to the Sabbath. They made all kinds, and we'll talk about it as we go through Matthew's gospel, that uh, the, the, when it came to the Sabbath, they came up with all these rules and regulations in keeping the Sabbath perfectly. And you might remember, this guy's a scribe, that Jesus said, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, most of the scribes and Pharisees hearing that would be very much offended by that. And as we continue in Matthew, we're going to see that the scribes and Pharisees are going to mount, out, uh, mount up this opposition against Jesus, come against him. And a lot of it had to do with keeping of the Sabbath. You tell your disciples they cannot pluck grain on the Sabbath day. That's working. It would continue that as Jesus healed uh, on the Sabbath day, uh, healed a man there in Capernaum on the Sabbath day that had a withered hand, that we know that they were determined at that point, it tells us, that they were going to put him to death. And as this confrontation is mounting and beginning against Jesus from the religious leaders, here is this scribe, he is saying, just to say it publicly, that I'll follow you wherever you go. This is quite a commitment that this religious leader is making here or desiring to make. It would mean that if he truly meant it, that he would be excommunicated from the religious establishment, which would mean very serious you know, repercussions and ramifications for this guy. 
I mean, he would be, uh, you know, lose his position, his status. Uh, he wouldn't be allowed to come to the synagogue. Uh, the religious leaders were threatening anyone, really, that would follow after Jesus. And, and this scribe would lose everything um, that he had as far as his position and religious status and all of that. He would be ostracized. He, he you know, would be come down upon and persecuted. So here he is as he's making this commitment, and I know that as we bring it home a little bit closer to us, that some of you, you have experienced the repercussions of following after Christ with family, with friends at the workplace, and doing business. You've made a commitment to follow after Christ. There's been a cost when it comes to your business. Business has been lost. Maybe a promotion denied at work. Relationship with family members or friends have been strained or even severed. You have, you know, counted the cost. And there, there is that that comes with us following after Christ. So we don't know how this man responded, but we can know how we will respond. You see, I think we say, Lord, I want to follow you. Whatever you have for me, wherever you want to take me. And he says the same thing to us today. He looks right into our hearts and he says the same things. That I've heard your cry because I know that you've come forward. You've knelt down. You've worshipped. You've poured out your heart to me in that time of prayer. And somewhere, most of us, I think, sometime in our life has said, Lord, I will follow you. And coming to Christ and being a new creation in Christ, I'll follow you, Lord, wherever you go, wherever you want to take me. And we meant it. And the Lord says to you and to me this morning, the hey, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And what he is saying to us this morning is if that you really want to follow me, then God's heart has got to be your home. You cannot put the earthly and worldly materials and, and things ahead of me. Truly following after Jesus means that we give Jesus top priority in our lives. And one more note of interest as we look at this, that that word lay that, that uh, is recorded here in Matthew's gospel, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's used in one other place in the New Testament, and that's in John's gospel, chapter 19, verse 30. After Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. And he breathed his last, and he bowed his head as John records. That's our word here, the same Greek word. The only place he found to lay his head is when he completed the work of making atonement for our sins. He bowed his head into his chest. He breathed his last, dying for our sins on that cross. Listen, the world is not where it's at. It isn't following after the world, the trends of the world, what's popular in the world. It's following after the one who died for you and for me. And so as we continue on, we read another person comes. Verse 21, then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So here comes the second man. The first man had, you know, material, worldly obstacles that really uh, he had to consider, counting the cost in that. The second man had family 
you know, obstacles. Lord, uh, I hear you say, follow me, but let me go bury my father first. And don't misunderstand what this disciple is saying to Jesus. His father most likely wasn't dead. His father did not need to be buried. Jesus is not being insensitive here and saying, you can't go to your dad's funeral. He, in saying this, this man to Jesus, let me bury my father, is a saying that's still used in the Middle East culture today. What this individual was saying to Jesus is, let me wait until my parents have died, then I will follow you, Jesus. I will follow you after my father dies. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Now again, the, the Lord, or God's word, is not being insensitive to us, especially those of us who are taking care of elderly parents. That that's a priority, and we are doing that, and that's what's taken up our time and, and uh, effort, and that is honorable before the Lord. So I want you to understand that. But Jesus here is letting him know that following him is something that you do now. And there are those that I believe would really go for it in the Lord, but someone or something, relationships, uh, whatever it might be, end up being a priority over the relationship with the Lord or a, a great distraction. Lord, I'd really be sold out for you. I would really love to grow in the word. I'd really love to grow in your love and really serve you, but I'm in this new relationship. Or I got to wait till the kids get older. Right now we're involved in a lot of sports, and, and I understand that. My kids were involved in sports, but we're going to be doing the, the sports things, and you know we're not going to see you for another six months or so or whenever. Um, Lord, I, I'd really would love to do more for you, but I got to get the business. It, it takes up so much time, and and you know we got to get weekend getaways that we need to go on, and we're just not going to be around or whatever the case may be. Now Jesus is not saying that you can't get away. We all need to get away. He's not saying that you can't expand your business and and do well in your business. He's not saying that you can't have other relationships. Please hear his heart on this. And I think that we can get a good feel of what the Lord is saying here in verse 22. Notice that he said, let me first. You see, that doesn't work. First of all, me, and then first. And then when you put it together, let me first. That doesn't work. And you see, he's saying that your relationship with me must be first. And you know the wonderful thing is that when you put Jesus first in your life, that you're going to care for that spouse or you're going to care for that person more than if you try to love them in your own energy. You're going to be blessed in your business because you said, I'm going to do everything as unto the Lord. I want to honor you, Lord. And he's going to bless you. He's going to provide for you. You're going to enjoy that weekend getaway or your kids playing sports or the hobbies that you do because you put the Lord first and you truly got joy and gladness. You're not just trying to find the satisfaction and fulfillment in those things. But Lord, you're the priority. And Lord, I want to be one that's investing in the kingdom and I want to know you and walk with you and love you all the days of my life, in every area of my life. We put Jesus first. And as we do that, we're going to see that he's going to have us experience that abundant life that he has for us. He said, I came to give you life and life abundantly, to live life the way it was meant to be lived. I'm your first obligation. 
I'm your first responsibility. Now Luke tells us that there was a third person that came to Jesus and said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus responded to that one, saying, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So the first individual, Jesus shows us that there's a, a cost, a sacrifice in following him. The second individual, he shows us that Jesus is to be the priority in our lives. And that third individual that Luke records, we see that Jesus is saying that you follow me wholeheartedly without delay. That, that guy said, I'll follow you, but first let me go home and bid them farewell. And Jesus said, if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you can't be used. You see, we live in an agriculture area. And we know that in plowing, in the sowing, in preparing, you know, the soil, we can learn from this. In the plowing, the sowing, the preparing of the things of the kingdom. If you were plowing a field back in Jesus' day, you were yoked, you know, the, uh, the oxen was yoked, you were behind the oxen with the plow. And to keep the row straight, you had to do it by being focused on an object in front of you, off in the distance. Perhaps it was a tree. Perhaps it was a rock outcropped. And if you were plowing and you kept looking back behind you, then, you know, they would never make straight rows. It would be a problem. You would not do a good job plowing. For us, the spiritual implication is this that we need to keep our eyes on Jesus in front of us and never take them off of him. Jesus himself lived this. And he says, I'm going to steadfastly set my face towards Jerusalem. And for you and for me, he wants us to keep moving forward, put our hand to the plow. And if we keep looking back, you know what it does? It ends up oftentimes paralyzing us in our walk with him, in our joy with him, in our service to him, whatever it might be, how it relates to you personally. You see, we can appreciate the past. We learn from the past. We can have good memories about the past. I'm very appreciative of the past. Some of you, that you may have a past that's very painful, that when you think about it, it hurts. Some of you are thinking the best thing about the past is that it's gone. But one thing that I do know is the scripture tells you and me that we are to keep pressing forward. Put our hand to the plow. Don't look back. Keep moving forward. Paul the Apostle wrote in the book of Philippians, he said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus for the prize. And that's what the scripture is telling us to keep pressing on. Because if we keep looking back, you know, what happens is we start saying, um, and, and it will end up, you know, causing us to want to go back to the world. Like the children of Israel, they kept saying to Moses, we want to go back to Egypt. Egypt being a picture of the world. It will end up paralyzing us. Ask Lot's wife. It was Lot's wife that looked back on Sodom and Gomorrah and she turned into a pillar of salt. And as she looked back, it wasn't that she just glanced back as fire and brimstone was falling on those cities. It's that she longed for those cities. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. I'm coming back. 
And we are to put our hand to the plow and keep looking forward. And this is something that the Lord has been continually just showing me and pressing upon me. And, and I need these words. It's a good word for all of us because over the last four or five months, all of us have tried to think, you know, how is it that I'm going to move forward? The uncertainty. I'll be real honest with you. What keeps coming back to mind is Genesis 32, that Jacob is at the brook Jabbok, and he's there, and he's there alone. He can't go backwards because of Uncle Laban said, you better not come back. The uncertainty of going forward, he has Esau with 400 men coming at him. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's at the brook, and he's all alone, and he's afraid, and he doesn't know what to do. Jacob was a very resourceful man, very successful, always had a plan, always had something that he came up with, a scheme or something, heel snatcher, deceiver. And all of a sudden, he's in that place at the brook that he can't go forward, he can't go backwards, he's all alone, and, and the Lord comes to him, and he's wrestling with the Lord all night long. And it was Jacob that wrestled with him, as Genesis says, that they wrestled all night, and, and Jacob would, would cleave to the Lord. He, he hung on to the Lord. He said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. Hosea says that he did it with many tears. And it was like Jacob was saying, I don't know how to move forward, I can't go backwards, I'm tired of trying to figure it out myself. Lord, I need you. I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. Till you bless me. And the Lord touched him. And his hip came out of socket. And he said, your name now is going to be called Israel, which means governed by God. No longer heel snatcher, no longer deceiver, but Israel governed by God. And some of you, like me, that you're at that brook and you're wrestling with the Lord right now. And I know that the Lord desires to touch you deeply. And even in those painful times, because it would be painful for Jacob's hip to come out of socket, and he walked with the limp and he had to walk with the cane. But the Lord is teaching us and bringing us to that point of Israel governed by me. And you know what? That's a good place to be. That, Lord, I need to move forward, put my hand to the plow. But I want you to guide me and direct me. I want you, Lord to govern my life in every area of my life. And in the brokenness, in the brokenness of the season, the times that I know that you're working, and I want to lean on you, just as Jacob had to use that cane to walk, in our walk, we need to lean on the Lord. Let's put our hand to the plow. Let's keep looking forward. God still has things for us to do. He still wants to work. He hasn't abandoned the throne. He hasn't abandoned you. And if you find yourself there at the brook, it's okay. Because I know that God is going to bless and touch and he's going to work in your life and my life and in this church. So Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these lessons here. And Lord, we know that especially in the day in which we're in, that there is a cost of following after you. But Lord, you call us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, follow after you.
you've called us to follow after you wholeheartedly with priority to not get entangled with the world and the things of the world but Lord to invest in the kingdom of God and seek the kingdom of God first so Lord I thank you for these reminders and I pray for those who perhaps they're at that brook right now wrestling with you trying to figure out how to move forward that you would touch that you would minister and Lord that you would show yourself more real to us than ever before. And as a church, as we look to move forward, what you have for us, Lord. So I pray for those who are wrestling right now, that we would have the mindset of Jacob, that I'm not going to let you go, Lord, till you bless me, even if it's with many tears. And in the brokenness of the situation or circumstances that we're going through, that, Lord, you're there with us, desiring for us to be governed by you, Israel. Father, I also want to pray that today is a time for salvation. If anyone's never come to Christ, he went to the cross, he died for your sins, and the greatest need that any man or any woman has is to be forgiven of sin, because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, who died for your sins and rose again and he conquered sin and death. Have you made truly that commitment? Today is the day to do that if you haven't, if you're not right with God, because tomorrow is unpromised to any of us. He loves you. He died for you, for every one of your sins. And the invitation is given to come, to come in faith, to repent, turn to the cross, and ask him into your heart and life as Lord and Savior. You can do that right now. He loves you so much. To say, Jesus, I come to you. You're my hope. You're my salvation. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me and you rose again and you're alive. Be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for this new beginning and bringing me into the family of God. And I want to walk with you and know you all the days of my life. I thank you for your love for me. In Jesus' name. For all of us, Lord, that we would keep looking to you day by day, moment by moment, to see your faithfulness and your goodness, to experience the joy and the gladness that you have for us, gladness of heart. Give us the wisdom that we need, the directions that we need. Lord, the strength and the courage that we need in the days in which we're living in. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, anybody that made a decision for Christ, I'm going to be up here. Come up. I want to pray with you. Or if you just need prayer for anything, please, I want to pray for you and, and talk with you. And, and we want to have that available for you as let's stand and we'll close in song.